Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. Julia Cameron returns to Wheels Off. Guys, I'm not going to lie. She is the matron saint of creativity. And consequently, Julia is the best conceivable guest, a host of a podcast about creativity and the messy realities of the creative life could ever hope for. Julia Cameron is special. If you don't know who she is, um, in 1992, she put out a book that started a movement, um, The Artist's Way. She's written over 40 books since then, but that was sort of the genesis of that movement. And it's based on the idea of the creative person within you wanting to get out and the ways that you can help let her out, them out, shepherding the creative person within you via morning pages, via artist's date, two things that she'll talk about during this interview. She's frankly magical, Julia Cameron, which by the way, I've always said Cameron, but at the end of the interview, she says her own name, and it is Cameron. Um, and I just, to be honest, when I interviewed Julia before, I was so starstruck that I don't know if I did a great job. I was a little bit caught up in the moment this time around, the second time around. I was still starstruck and still awed to be in her presence because I've gotten so much out of the artist's way and out of her writing and teaching. But she's really kind and she makes it easy. And it was an absolute pleasure to be able to have a conversation with her wherein I sort of break the mold of wheels off by jumping around 
topics related to creativity, the creative process, the creative life, the inner critic, things that she is best suited to talk about. Out of anyone, perhaps on the entire planet, she is a treasure, and I'm so lucky that I got to speak with her again. In fact, if I get the opportunity, I will speak with Julia Cameron as many times as they, uh, her folks in charge of her career offer up availability. I will, I will just talk to Julia over and over again. She's the best. So please enjoy this conversation with the queen of change, the king of my heart, the matron saint of creativity, Julia Cameron. Welcome to Wheels Off, Julia Cameron. Thank you so much for joining me again. You're very welcome. Congratulations on Write for Life, your beautiful new book. Thank you. Um, I recorded an interview earlier today with a woman who sings in a band called the Bobby Lees. She's a 20-something. She's an actor, an accomplished actor, and a singer. And she, when I asked her the moment when she knew that she would um, be able to make art her life and her living, she described to me the epiphany she had while reading, you guessed it, The Artist's Way. Aha! Uh -huh. It was so sweet. It really felt like um, like a perfect confluence of uh, certainly of guests for me to have in one day to do interview with. But she she was very moved. She had a similar experience to what I and so many other people have, where she went immediately out and got on with the act of being creative. And this newest book is so useful to me. Um, can you tell folks a little bit about what what this book is a tool for? Yes, I I want to say uh, that it had been 20 years since I had written about writing. Uh, and I realized that I had learned a lot of tricks uh, and tools and cues and clues uh, in that 20 years uh, and that I wanted to share them. So uh, it's a book that gives you a sort of privileged peek uh, at uh, my own process. And so many of um, so many of your books tend to include everyone. even I, I love it sometimes you'll even mention dancers or or you know people who work in in media that wouldn't be obvious, you know, in terms of uh, creative life. but but I, I love that you've uh, narrowed it down and you talk about writing in this book. Um, because you have written yourself so much, you figured out a lot of stuff. Was there anything as you were writing it that surprised you that um, you didn't realize from those early days? Any of these tricks that that you couldn't believe took you so long to figure out? Well, there is a, the basic trick uh, is a trick of writing three pages of longhand morning writing every day called morning pages. Uh, and I found uh, that if I did morning pages, I was rendered more fluent uh, and I was rendered encouraged uh, and I was rendered empowered. Uh, and so I found myself saying, oh, I'm going to start the book with talking about morning pages because I think that's the most powerful tool. 
That's something that came up uh, in the interview I did earlier with Sam Corton, the actor singer. It's something I do myself. It comes up a lot. Um, I one thing I love about when you talk about morning pages is how they talk to you. Um, one big question for me in these interviews with people is what are they working on right now? And how do we know what to work on next? And you describe in in the book, you talk, talk about how your morning pages will tell you instead of maybe the movie you think you should write, you should be writing a novel. Now they tell you that you should teach. What do you think that is? Is that your subconscious? Is that a higher power, some combination? I think a combination is the right way to look at it, uh, that when we are in touch with morning pages, we are in touch with the higher power, with the power greater than ourselves that gives us clues and cues. Uh, and I, I think uh, our subconscious uh, may be going along at the same time saying, show me, give me a help. Uh, and uh, so I think uh, that it's important uh, to, to recognize uh, that there may be a power greater than ourselves involved. One thing that comes up as well is the idea in these conversations that I have for my show is the idea of why do we do it? And um, I think a lot of times people think that the writing itself is therapeutic, but what comes up more often unexpectedly is that the writing provides meaning to one's life. And and I wonder if that's something you would agree with and uh, if you found that to be the case in your own life. I think absolutely. The writing is a witness to our life. Uh, it's a witness to what we're going through. Uh, it's a companion. It's a guide. Uh, it's a, um, it's a peek uh, at what could be. Uh, and so I think when we uh, do the writing, we find ourselves being guided and led. I love that. Um, one thing that, that you talk about in a way that I find really useful that comes up a lot with the conversations I have with folks, we talk about the voices in our head that keep us down. And I love that you've given yours a name. And I wonder if you could describe to people the the, the tactics that you've come up with in terms of um, getting those voices or maybe that specific voice in your head to... Uh, stop holding you back? Well, I think we're talking now about an inner critic. The inner and critic. I think all of us have an inner critic. Yes. Uh, that is always telling us negative things. Uh, and I think I'm lucky uh, that I recognize my critic as Nigel. Uh, and Nigel is a gay British interior decorator. <laughs> Uh, and Nigel has very high standards, uh, and nothing that I write ever lives up to his uh, his standards. Uh, and I think uh, that over the years, I have learned to say to Nigel, Nigel, thank you for sharing. Uh, and I've changed him from the voice of doom uh you know, initially when we meet the critic, 
Uh, it's a booming voice, uh, and it's negative, uh, and it's attacking and critiquing. Uh, and then as we say, I'm going to name my critic something, and we make it into a cartoon character, uh, then it becomes sort of a wee piping voice. Uh, and uh, so we can't get rid of the critic, but we can miniaturize the critic. Uh, and that's what I've done with Nigel. And it's worked. I love it. I wonder if, because since this is um, our second time to speak, and I, I was lucky enough to get you to sort of walk through your own journey as an artist, um, with the new book, Write for Life, you provide a bunch of really great quotes in the margins, really inspiring stuff. I wonder if you might be willing to let me read some of these quotes to you, and you could tell me why you find them so useful, maybe, and what and and give our listeners a little bit of insight into how they can incorporate the wisdom within in their own work. Um, well, is that sounds, okay? Sounds like a good idea. <laughs> okay, good. Um, I'll start with the one my my other favorite. Um, the the book I found the most useful. Uh, when it comes to writing was Stephen King's book on writing. And you start with a, a Stephen King quote um, in, in, well, in your chapter on trust your process. Stephen King says, you can, you should, and if you're brave enough to start, you will. What do you think that means for your, for your reader? Well, I, I think that we are hovering on the shore, afraid to put a toe in. Uh, and Stephen King is saying, plunge in, plunge in. Uh, and I I think that's very valuable advice, uh, that we, we don't need to wait for the right moment. Uh, in, instead, we can make a moment, the right moment, by our actions. When... Somebody says that they, they read Stephen King and they look at how easy he makes it look and it makes them think they could never do that. Um, is the willingness to to do it despite their own fears, um, is that the bravery you think that he's talking about? Yes, I do. Um, I, I love Stephen King. Uh, I found his book extremely useful. Uh, and positive. Uh, and I I think that what he's saying is, we are all artists. We need only dare. Uh, and uh, I think that's valuable advice. Ah, that's so good. We are all artists. We need only dare. And for the record, that's you saying that. That's You're not quoting anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's me saying that. Um. I, I grew up during my um, tortured poetic youth, uh, reading and loving the, the poetry of Sylvia Plath. You quote her in here during the chapter on resist your resistance. You quote Sylvia Plath saying, the worst enemy to creativity is self-doubt. How do you how do you think that um, we can overcome that in addition to minimizing Nigel's voice? Well, this is where I sound like a fanatic, uh, because what I want to say is, if you do morning pages, you will minimize self-doubt. 
because pages are something that you do uh, with your first thought. The first thing that occurs to you is what you write down. Uh, And that process of writing down the very first thing teaches you to trust. Uh, And as we trust, uh, we we minimize self-doubt. And uh, I think Sylvia Plath, uh, I'm sorry for her demise. Uh, And um, I think she had some very good advice to do in the meanwhile. Agreed. Another tactic that you have espoused in your books is the idea of the artist's date, which when I was interviewing Sam Corton, the singer for the um, the Bobby Lees, she talked about her very first musical experience. Um, she went down from her hometown up near Woodstock, New York, to Phoenicia, to a songwriter in the round, basically an open mic night, and she was terrified. But she decided that she would, um, inspired by your idea of the artist date, she would have an artist date and give herself uh, a challenge to go sing with these old guys in this um, basically open mic setting. And she used another one of your tricks where she um, called a friend so that she could be held accountable for this idea. She told her friend she was going to go do it. And then she went down to Phoenicia and sat in and and it wasn't as terrifying as she thought it was going to be. And and maybe that's the point of the artist date. Well, also to just get in touch with and love your inner artist. But in doing something, you find out that it's not as terrifying as you were afraid it would be. Is that, what, what's the idea behind the, the artist date? And was she using it correctly? <laughs> it sounds like she used it correctly. <laughs> uh, and uh, I think an artist date is, a, it's, is an adventure in daring. We we take risks. We pick out something that seems delectable to us, uh, and we say, I'm going to try and do that. Uh, and as we try to do that, uh, we expand. Uh, and the, the point of the artist state uh, is expansion, and risk-taking, and bravery, uh, and daring. I love that. You speak at at length about this in the Priming the Pump chapter, um, about the idea of writing as prayer. And um, the quote that you cite in the margin is Franz Kafka saying, writing is prayer. Would you mind explaining that a little bit to the listeners? Well, I think uh, that when we write, we're putting ourselves on the page in in an authentic way. We're saying, this is how I truly feel. This is what I truly need. This is what I truly believe. Uh, And the act of being authentic uh, is an act of worship. Uh, And uh, I think... Uh, that we are talking about power uh, and that we are putting ourselves in touch with the higher power. Uh, and I I think uh, that a lot of times people want to mince words uh, and and not talk about it, 
uh, but I find it very valuable to say, oh, writing is prayer, just trust. Do you think vulnerability is uh, necessary for art to be successful, by which I don't mean commercially, but by which I just mean being a successful attempt to create something that's, like you're saying, authentic? Well, I think we have a mythology that says writers should be invincible and strong. Uh, And I think we need to dismantle this mythology and say writers need to be authentic, honest, and vulnerable. Uh, And I think that it's in the act of daring to be vulnerable that we open our hearts to connecting with our readers. Uh, I think readers can intuitively sense uh, when we are being true to ourselves uh, and when we are not. So um, I would say that it's an important factor to be vulnerable. Uh, And uh, it's a good thing. I can't think of anyone better to address this question than you. It comes up a lot. Um, the idea of authenticity, and it's a word that you use, um, but it, sometimes it's used in a way that I don't think is the way in which you're using it now. Um, it's used to criticize, say someone is in a band that sounds rootsy, but maybe that person doesn't actually work on a ranch. Uh, um, so people are accused of being inauthentic if they're creating something that isn't exactly Uh, in line with the life that they have led. When you talk about authenticity, you're talking about more of an emotional authenticity, like an emotional truth, right? How how do you feel about the the accusation of inauthenticity when people's lives don't always conform to their subject matter? Well, I feel like we need to be careful of criticism. Uh, and that when someone is accused of being inauthentic, uh, I I think it's a, a damning criticism, a toxic criticism. Uh, and I, I think that we need to give credence to the power of the imagination, uh, which allows us to create art that on the surface doesn't appear to match our lives. Thank you. That's great. It it comes up so often and it's um it can be really hurtful, right? Because I don't want to work on a ranch. <laughs> um the woman I interviewed earlier today talked about always carrying a notebook on her. And it is the notebook in which she writes her morning pages, but she's constantly writing down stuff that she notices throughout the day and it reminded me of this quote Akira Kurosawa To be an artist means never to avert one's eyes. And I wonder, do you think that means carrying a notebook around? Do you think that means being emotionally open or literally watching people watching? I think it means being emotionally open. Uh, I I think uh, while it's wonderful that she carries a notebook around, I don't think it's necessary to carry a notebook around. I think it's necessary to be uh, open to experience uh, and open to what's happening around you. Uh, And 
I again, I think this is where the morning pages are so valuable uh, because what you're doing then uh, is recording your reactions to life. I love that. Um, when you talk about the idea that artists are to be these really strong, sort of larger than life superhero characters, it did kind of bring to mind Ernest Hemingway. Um, we all know, of course, he's a human being um, with vulnerabilities and foibles. You have a great Ernest Hemingway quote in your Begin Where You Are chapter where you say, remember to get the weather in your damn book. Weather is very important. Now, I also know one of my favorite writers, Elmore Leonard, said, don't write about the weather. Nobody cares about the weather. <laughs> I write about the weather all the time. I think people <laughs> care about the weather. Uh, I I say, I'm in my library. It's a blue day. There's wind in the pinyon tree. Uh, so I, I can look out at the mountains and say, oh, there's snow on the peaks. So I believe in writing about the weather. Is it often that the weather can provide a mirror or um, a metaphor for what's happening, or or do you just try? To, are you trying to build an emo or scene where the, uh, the action can take place, or all of the above? I think all of the above. Nice. Um, one of my favorite sections of the book is resist your resistance. I, that's something that that in these wheels off conversations we end up talking about a lot. Um, and when I speak with other writers and other musicians, the idea of, are you always writing comes up? Are you always writing? Are you waiting for a deadline? Um, what does it take to get you to sit down? You have a quote from Pearl S. Buck. I don't wait for moods. You accomplish nothing if you do that. Your mind must know it has to get down to work. That's um, That seems like it's at the heart of what you've always preached right? Is that, that you must be a writer to write? Well, I say the act of writing makes you a writer. Uh, and I I think uh, the non-negotiability of morning pages makes you a writer. Uh, when you have something uh, that's a daily duty for which you're accountable, uh, it makes you an, an artist. Um, one thing I have noticed in writing songs is that sometimes this, the chord progression will speak to you and tell you what needs to happen next in the, in the lyrics and vice versa. Um, and I know that you have described morning pages speaking to you and, and giving you guidance as to what's the next step, um, in your journey of creativity. I wonder within uh, a creative work, as you're writing something, how much are you also experiencing the thing that you're creating and listening to it as it's telling you how to proceed with the next step of, in that? So I think your your question is, are you led? Yes. Uh, and um, I believe that as we write, we are led. We are told the next step. We are given the next word. 
and I, I want to put a word in here for writing by hand. Uh, I I write my books by hand. Uh, I believe there's a direct connection from the heart to the hand, uh, and that as we write by hand, uh, we write authentically, we write vulnerably, we write bravely, uh, we write with more uh, vulnerability uh, than when we write on a computer. Uh, it, and people will say, but Julia, I'm so much faster on the computer. <laughs> and I will say, well, fast is not what we're after. We're after authentic. Are they taking into account all the time they get sidetracked shopping on that same computer? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I interviewed Harlan Coben, uh, the novelist, and he is a handwriting advocate. Um, and I've I've interviewed Michael Shabon, the novelist, who writes on a computer, but is constantly having to deal with finding the proper program that'll shut down any connection to the outside world so as to minimize distraction or, um, you know, uh, being uh, drawn away from the work. So, yeah, it seems like the writing by hand, there's nothing that can get in the way. Writing by hand connects you directly to your source. It's organic in nature. I think so. Boy, it's so funny that that I interviewed you right after having spoken to this young woman that sings in the Bobby Lees because she's such um, a fan of yours and has gotten so much inspiration from your work. But also, she is uh, she rejects technology, and she is part of what I hope is a growing movement of young people who uh, don't want to spend their lives only looking at a phone. And I get so much of I feel like what you are espousing is. Not that you bring up technology necessarily, but you're encouraging people to live in such a way that they're tactile and experiential rather than sucked into their tiny device, their screen. Is that right? I think, I think that's true. Um, and when people say, Julia, you're so prolific, I say, well, the trick is I don't watch TV. <laughs> and I don't go on the computer uh, and I don't look at Instagram, and I don't look at Facebook. Uh, I write on the page uh, and allow the page to lead me uh, to what it is I need to create. So I think uh, I think I'm an advocate of writing by hand, uh, and I'm an advocate of non-technology and right now for instance you are in new mexico right at home yes i'm it, on top of a mountain on top of santa fe oh my god that sounds so great what a beautiful place to be in touch with the the real world rather than a, a tiny screen where are you i'm in the hudson valley where last night it snowed about six inches oh my goodness it is beautiful but yes, I, I did have to shovel a lot of snow last night and this morning. Um, well, I, I really appreciate you talking to me. I feel like there's no more perfect guest for this podcast of mine where we just discuss creativity and how best to live a creative life. 
Um, so one thing that I love, and I perhaps I'll ask you to sort of uh, leave us with this because I feel like it's at the heart of what you do. You're so positive and you're such an advocate for creativity as the way to heal the world. You have a quote in here from L.M. Montgomery, my pin shall heal, not hurt. I wonder if you could say something about the the purpose of creativity, why we do it, and the nobility where therein. Well, I think you've put it perfectly, the nobility of what we're into. Uh, and I, I think uh, that as we create, we come in contact with a benevolent force. Uh, and that benevolent force causes us to act differently in the world. Uh, so I think uh, that it's important uh, to find yourself connecting up. Uh, and as you find yourself connecting up, uh, you find yourself reaching out. Uh, and I think uh, that that's a very important factor in creativity, uh, which is that you expand yourself, uh, and in expanding yourself, you connect to the world. I don't know how often you go out and um, interact with the people who've been influenced by you. I know that you've described lots of um, moments where artists come to you and, and describe their own uh, journey and the way you've helped them along and inspired them. Um, does does it does it still happen? Does it is it something that does it always fill you up with a feeling of um, I don't know what I guess. Let me ask this: Do you know how much people love you and appreciate you? Does it does it come through to you up on top of that mountain? Well, I hope so. <laughs> and um, when I go out to eat, I eat often by myself, uh, and as I'm sitting there, I'm approached and someone will say, do you know you look like Julia Cameron? <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say, well, actually, that's quite a coincidence. I am Julia Cameron. Uh, and they will say, your book changed my life. Uh, it's always that same sentence, your book changed my life. Uh, and I feel a sense of their glee uh, at getting a chance to tell me that. Well, count me amongst those. And so many people that I talk to about creativity who have devoted their lives to it and in no small part because of what you've done. So I really appreciate you sharing your time and your wisdom. And I thank you so much for joining me today. Well, you're very welcome. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all.
Osiris. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street.